So turn in your Bibles to Exodus 15, verses 1 to 21. This is the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 15. If you go to verse 1, and as soon as you locate verse 1, I want you to back up just one verse. We're going to start this morning with Exodus 14, 31. If any of you have ever seen the TV show 24, they always start off with previously on 24. Well, previously in Exodus. We pick up the narrative right here. Exodus 14, 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Do you want me to tell you what this message is about this morning? It's this simple. Spend more time seeing the Lord and less time looking at yourself, your world, and your enemies. And when you do that, you will go from grumbling, which is a sign of unbelief, to praise, which is a sign of faith. You get that? Train yourself to look more often at the Lord and what he's done for you and less often at your own self, your circumstances in the world. And then, out of your mouth, out of your heart will come, not grumbling, which is a sign of unbelief, but praise, which is a sign of faith. Praise, which is a sign of faith. I want to I now pick up the text. I'm going I'm to read the whole text because I think it's, it's good to hear the word. So now Exodus 15.1. With this background, with this theme in our hearts, listen carefully to the song of Moses sung because he believed God because he saw what he'd done. Amen? All right, let's read it. I'll read it out loud. You read it silently. Exodus 15.1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. He was watching the chariots float by and the dead Egyptian soldiers wash up on the shore. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. And I will praise him. My father's God. And I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O God, O Lord, shatters the enemy. The greatness of your majesty, in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said... The Egyptian said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them, Israel. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. And now God said in verse 10, you blew with your wind and the sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, 
awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. Notice the change in verse 13. Now Moses is singing about future grace. 1 to 12, past and present grace. 13 to 18, future grace. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. This is speaking of the peoples that Israel will displace when they take the promised land. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in, that is, bring Israel in, and plant them on your mountain. That's Jerusalem, Mount Moriah. You're going to plant them there. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And now an interlude, verse 19. He summarizes. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And Miriam could not take it any longer. She grabs a tambourine. Her brother finishes singing his song. And in verse 20, Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And what does Miriam sing? She sings the exact same thing that Moses sang up in verse One, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. You did it for Moses 3,400 and some years ago, which was only a picture of what you did in Christ some 2,000 years ago on the cross. And today, God, let us see your redemptive deeds echoing, moving through history in our lives. And then let us sing because we believe. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night, my family and I celebrated my daughter's graduation from Miami-Dade College. We had a great, yes, we had a great time together. We enjoyed the time. And at the end of the evening, we came home, and we were about to uh, put on the video. And uh, as we turned on the TV to put on the video, it was about 8 o'clock, and we noticed there was a movie on. And it was a movie that I would encourage all of you to see. In fact, I encourage all of you to purchase it. It's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right there. And if you, better yet, buy C.S. Lewis's series, his books, Read it to your kids when they're younger, and then go see it, okay? And our family, we used to actually act out all the scenes. I'd take them into a little woods somewhere, and they would pretend like they're Lucy and Edmund and Peter, and I don't know, I guess I was like all the wicked guys, and you know, I'd chase them, and they'd hide, and they'd fight after me, and, and it was a great time, okay? But it's a great book. C.S. Lewis wrote it as a sort of an allegory of the Christian life. And in this book, how many of you know The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Okay, so almost all of you. Those of you who don't, it's just an allegory where in this story they go to Narnia, 
Okay, it kind of represents the Christian life. And in Narnia, there is a, a lion. His name is Aslan. And there's also a wicked witch. And she is keeping Narnia always in winter for 100 years. But Christmas never comes. Very sad. And so it's a story of these four children going into Narnia and their adventures with Aslan as he frees the Narnians from the grip of the wicked witch. Okay? So having said that, I was reading through about this story, and in a certain scene, the citizens of Narnia who have lived under what seems to be an endless winter in discouragement and fear hear rumors, and the rumors are this, Aslan is on the move, and when he arrives, he will right all the wrongs. And so they say the following poem, which will be here placed on the screens in just a moment. This is what they say. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall all have spring again. Jesus, my friends, is our Aslan to bring spring to the long winter of our soul. So let us see Jesus, even as this says, when Aslan comes in sight, all wrongs will be right. Let Aslan, let Jesus come in sight this morning. Believe and sing praises to him. I find it interesting this morning that we had problems with the sound. When the very point of this message is sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Press through the difficulties. We didn't need the sound. You guys sang to the Lord. You sang to the Lord without the sound. You sang to the Lord during the sound check. Hopefully you'll sing to the Lord during the ministry time when we're going to sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Why? Because culturally we like to sing and move around? No. Because he is your Aslan who has appeared to save you and save you indeed. That's why we sing. Spend more time looking at your God than at yourself or at your world or at your problems. What it says in the notes, believe God and sing his praises. Believe God and sing his praises. Even as Israel believed God in chapter 14, verse 31, when they saw his great deeds and Israel believed God's promises and sang his praises. So you and I must believe God and we must sing his praises for past, present, and future redemption. You see, Moses believed God, firstly, for his past redemptions. Look at the text. Take a look at it. Verse 2, Moses says, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. He sees God. He knows it's the God of his father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He understands that he is part of the covenantal faithfulness of God. They've got Joseph's bones with them, for goodness sakes. That's faith. That's looking at the covenant and trusting in God. He then sees that God is a man of war. He sees God's strength. Verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. He sees, verse uh, four chariots of, of, of Pharaoh floating in the water. He sees dead Egyptians floating in the water. He, he, he recounts the deeds of God in verse 4. He says, their chariots have sunk. Their chosen officers, their top leaders are dead. 
Verse 5, the floods have covered them. They went down like depths of stone. About a month ago, Corey was saying that, that on the, day, on the uh, day of Passover, when the death angel came and, and was going to kill the firstborn of everyone, everybody was in the ring, was the metaphor used, with God. <laughs> Forgive me for using this illustration, but it, it, it speaks to some people. God was like one of these, you know, mixed martial arts guys, these huge guys with a right hand that just paralyzes people. That's what Moses said. Look at, he says in verse six, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O God, shatters the enemy. I mean, when you see a really good fighter, just get into it, just shatter a guy, shatter his face, shatter his confidence, shatter everything. Guy goes down in a heap. I mean, it's like he's been shot. Bam! This is God. This is God doing it to a people who were huge and mighty and powerful. A people who oppressed us for 430 years. A people who mocked us and took our vitality and took all we had. And God came in with one right hand and just shattered them. Shattered them. I want you to see that today. This is the God who shatters our enemies. He throws the chariots into the water. I love, look at, look at verse 9. It's like, it's like Moses. I don't, I don't know if Moses was from Miami. I doubt it. But well, he could talk some trash, okay? I mean, I mean it's like, it's like bah, and he stands over and says, yeah? You, what were you going to do to me? What would you do to me at the weigh-in? What would you say you were going to do to my mama? You're out, sucker. <laughs> look at verse 9. I'm not making this up. The enemy said, the Egyptians said, dancing around, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. God's on this side. He goes, huh. So six words that he's going to do. Three words from God. I blew with the wind, the sea covered you, and you sank, sucker. (laughs) You know, he's dancing around, talking. Okay, gone. Do you see God that way? Do you see God as more powerful than your circumstances? This is the point. Oh, look at God far more than you look at your own sin, the world, Satan, all the problems. Look at God. It's a discipline. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to look at you. Because the moment we look at God, we praise. The moment we look at our circumstances, we complain. Which marks your life? Are you known as a complainer or as a praiser? Which one? (laughs) Um, This morning, I was back here in the children's ministry getting ready. And uh, I looked out the window and I saw Jenny Aviles. And it looked like she was talking to somebody. The door was open. And so when I came out, she was hanging stuff. And and I realized there was no one in the room. (laughs) So, you know, Jenny's our secretary. We we like to make fun. And I said, well, Jenny, so you're getting old enough now that we're talking to ourselves, are we? And she laughed. And she said, no, I was just singing to the Lord. I went, well, Jenny, you just made it into the sermon today. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. It's an old song. I don't know if she was singing that, but she was singing to the Lord. She was singing to the Lord in the midst. I know they have problems. We all have problems. She was singing to the Lord in the midst of perhaps trial. She was singing to the Lord. Why? Because I'm going to choose to look at the Lord 
and his goodness and his power far more than I'm going to look at my situation, my world, or the enemy. Now, do I have to look at my situation? Sure. But for every one look at your sin, oh, dear friends, take ten looks at the Savior. See the dead Egyptians floating in the water. See it by faith. Okay. There is a transition then. Pick it up in your notes there. Moses not only saying of God's present and past acts of righteousness, but at the bottom there, the next point, Moses believed God for what he would do for Israel. And there's a lengthy quote there. Starting in verse 13, the first half of the hymn described Yahweh's victory. Now verse 13 interprets this event in relation to Israel. It was through this event, Red Sea, Israel was redeemed to become the people of God. The movement of the poem from the deliverance at the sea to the land interprets the significance of Yahweh's redemptive intervention. In other words, God saves us out of something to save us into something. Okay? That's the point here. He not only redeems the people for himself, but then he leads them into his land. Yahweh brings them in, plants them on his mountain, which is Jerusalem, where he himself, where he rules in his kingdom and his sanctuary, will be built there eventually. Solomon will build the temple there eventually. The poem does not end by defining Israel's role in the land, but rather by reflecting Israel's function as the worshiping community. The poem is there not just to say you get the land, but you worship God. Therefore, the text for today says to you, dear friend, believe God and sing. Believe God and worship. If grumbling reveals unbelief, praise reveals faith. Have faith in God. He's worth it. Do you see that? You see that? Now, remember this. When was this written? Was it written like the next day after it happened? Probably not. How long did Israel wander in the wilderness? Forty years. Now, we don't know exactly, but many people believe that this was finally written more toward the 38th year than the year it happened. So for 38 years, they've been wandering in the wilderness. Do you remember what you were doing 38 years ago? Joel, what were you doing 38 years ago? Moving around in the, you know, being somewhere, right? Because you're only 17, 18? 17, all right. I don't know what I was doing 38 years ago. I was only two years old. 13 years old. It's <laughs> probably playing baseball, all right? Hey, Seuss, where are you? I'll be less junior. I was probably playing baseball somewhere at North Miami, striking out or something. I don't know. Um... A lot of people had forgotten, and a lot of children had just been born during those 38 years. So what's going on here? What is Moses doing? What is God doing through Moses? He's chronicling God's redemptive deeds, and he's telling them, believe God, look at God more than this desert that we're in right now. Look at God more than those giants we're going to go fight in just a couple of weeks or months or maybe a year. They were already cruising around. They knew who was in the land. Remember? Giants. Look at God more than your circumstances and trust him. He delivered us then. He's going to deliver us in the future. Past grace, present grace, future grace. Go. Take the land. Immediate application for us as individuals, and us as a church. And then Miriam. Miriam jumped in. I think I have this right. 
This type of singing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is an antiphonal song. Did I get that right? Antiphonal, where you have one group sings and then the other group sort of echoes. So Moses and the guys are singing. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. And then Miriam and the ladies, man. Now, you remember there's two million people. So this is cool, all right? This is cool, Zeke. All right, this is, I'm, I'm sure they were singing right on t- key or tune, whatever the heck it is you guys call it, okay? So it sounds nice. And the women jump in. I will sing unto the Lord. <laughs> oh, they sang better than that. And, but just imagine it. Imagine, imagine these chorus of believers seeing God's deliverance and they're singing. Is your life marked by singing or by complaining? Are you more moved by your circumstance or by your Savior? Do you see this? This is the application for you and me. Now, point two. And we're going to get to this here pretty soon. Sing to the Lord. For he is your strength and song. He has become your salvation. Using our illustration that we began with, is Aslan in sight? Yeah, it's winter. Yeah, there's a wicked witch running around. But the ice is melting. This is fresh in my mind from the movie last night. Spring is coming. The trees are budding. Fruit is appearing. Aslan's in sight. He's on the move. Do you see him? If you do, all wrongs will be righted because Aslan is in sight. So sing. Sing to the Lord. Israel was weak and distressed and helpless before a superior enemy, but God was their strength and song. He had become their salvation. And like Israel, friends, we are weak and distressed and helpless before a superior enemy, whether it's our flesh, whether it's um, uh, the world, or whether it's Satan. He has become our salvation in Christ. God is our strength and song. We must sing today of what God has done for us in Christ. And the content of our song of praise is found in Revelation 15. Oh, let's read this together. It's in your notes. You can read it silently. I'll read it out loud. But just engage with this. This is the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And it echoes a song in the second book of the Bible. And listen to what it says. Then I saw a sign. I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing. What do they sing, guys? The song of Moses. Huh? Oh, yeah. You know, he was there. (laughs) He is there. The servant of God and the song of the Lamb. Whoa, 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 whoa. The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb? I thought Jesus came 1,400 years later. Oh, he did. But believe me, he was there when they were crossing the Red Sea. He was there in the burning bush. He's there right now. He's here right now. And he's there. He's everywhere. <laughs> and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds. Do you say that regularly? Great and amazing are your deeds, Lord. Oh, Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways. Do you say just and true are God's ways? Or in your complaining, do you bring God into court and sue him because his ways aren't just and true? And if you do, who are you? Oh, man, to tell God how to run the universe. 
For you alone, O Lord, and glorify your name. Excuse me. O King of the nations, who will not fear you? O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have now been revealed. The sea of glass, dear friends, which is mixed with fire, is representing the wrath of God that is about to be revealed from heaven. When, we don't know, but it's coming. But those who have been victorious over the beast stand beside this sea of glass and they stand on God's side as Israel stood beside the Red Sea and sang their song of deliverance on God's side because God chose them. Whose side you on? What song are you singing? The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, dear ones, is one. Since the pattern of redemption, catch this, at the first exodus with Moses has been fulfilled and completed in the second exodus with Jesus Every line of the song is reminiscent of what the prophets and the psalmists and the New Testament records. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord. Just and true are your ways, O God. Who will not fear you, Lord? All nations will come to you, Lord. Your righteous acts have been revealed, Lord. And so we worship you. So we worship you. O dear friends, worship God for his past redemptions. Worship God for his present redemptions. Worship God for his future grace. Are you trusting him for something? Oh, we all are. Worship him. Look at him. You may be standing right at the cusp of a place, a battle with giants. You may be standing in a desert. But oh, look at God. Is the Lord your strength in song? Has he become your salvation? Spend more time thinking about God than about yourself, your problem, or your enemies. That's the point of the application. There are five questions, actually four, that I would like for you to consider and go to home group on Wednesday night and discuss with your home group leaders. They may add more. They may modify these. Hey, this is an exercise in trying to look at God more than at yourself or your world. List five things God has done for you. If you list five quickly, then list five more. If you list five more, list five more. List five for me. You've heard of the Fab Five? This is truly the Fab Five, okay? I said it right, the Fab Five. See, you're just young. You don't know what the Fab... Who who knows what the Fab Five is? Who's the Fab Five, Vanessa? Michigan, that's right. So you guys don't know. All right, for you younger ones, list your Fave Five or Fab Five. How did they say it? Fab Five, yeah, who cares? Five things that God has done for you. List them. List them. Listen, Corey taught me this, and I think Sinclair Ferguson taught Corey this. <laughs> it is easy. It is easy to list the problems. It's easy for me to come into this room this morning and to see all the things that I don't have. Very easy. Okay? Hey, we don't have a church building. Captain Obvious. <laughs> hey! They closed this thing about a month ago, and they said they're not going to open it for a while, so we just lost a lot of seating. Again, obvious. I was in the back with Corey, and I said, and we're walking down the hallway at 10 after prayer. I said, Corey, I'm not very discerning, but I haven't heard any music or sound coming out of the speakers. That may not be a good, a good thing. So as we're coming around this corner here, as we open the door, I said, well, let's see, let's see what Miguel's face looks like. <laughs> so when I walk in the door, Miguel's over, he's going, he's going, Actually, his face looked fine. And, uh, and uh, well, in one sense. Uh, 
<laughs> Mullet time, baby. Uh, and, so, and so it's easy for me, to see, for me to see all the things that I don't have, perhaps deficiencies, because I'm a sinner. I'm wired that way. You know what's harder to do? For me to focus on what I do have and what God has done. And if my own nature makes it hard to do that, I've got an enemy of my soul within the flesh, and I've got an enemy without the world and Satan who want to tempt me. The Bible talks about a fight that we're in, but it's not a fight with flesh and blood. It's a fight of faith. So I've got to work and train myself every day to see evidences of grace in my children, in my wife, in my life, in the world. I've got to work at that. So... List five, list 10, list 20, and talk about them on Wednesday night. Number two, would others characterize you as one who peacefully trusts in the Lord or anxiously trusts in yourself? In other words, are you more God-sufficient or self-sufficient? And please invite others in this evaluation. Number three, do you regularly worship the Lord in song? If so, describe your practice, and if not, tell us why not. We know that Jenny does. She doesn't even need an iPod, all right? It's in her. I need an iPod because I can't sing very well. But in my quiet time, I always spend time. I'm downstairs. It's early. I get on my knees. I put on my iPod or iTunes, and I'll sing to the Lord. It's important, friends. It's important. And number four, what one thing can you change in your daily schedule in order to practice regular worship of God in song? What do you need to change, guys? How much earlier do you need to wake up? (laughs) Do you need to change the station you listen to on the way to work? Better yet, do you need to turn off the radio and put in Come Weary Saints or West Coast Revival or, um, you know, Curtis Allen's hip hop? Whatever your deal is, whatever your flavor is, all right, the flavor of the month. What CD do you need to purchase and intentionally pop in to worship the Lord? As an application this morning, I would like to invite the worship team to come up. And we are going to spend an extended time of worship so that we can apply this word and we can sing to the Lord.